When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. ESPN's The Far Post podcast. We are back for another week of dub action. What a round we had. Obviously, the big one we'll have to talk about is the bottom place Canberra defeating top of the table Melbourne City. What do you mean? What are you doing, dub? What a crazy league it is. But no, there were lots of good results that we will obviously have to talk about. It's another big episode. It's always a big episode in this league and we absolutely can't wait to get stuck in and chat all about it. But before we do, we want to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands we're recording on today, the Wurundjeri and Gadigal people, beg pardon, uh, and pay our respects to their elders past and present. For today, you've got me, Marissa Lordanik, Angela Christian-Wilkes and Sam Lewis. So, my friends, let us begin with some you love to see it. Sam, please kick us off. What did you love to see from this week? I loved to see so many things. I know that this segment is meant to just be like your one pick of the whole thing, but there were so many good things that happened this week that I kind of just need to spill. And also Harrow isn't here, so I feel like we all get a freebie. So I've got three particular things that I love to see. Uh, the first was uh, the assist from Indiana DeSantos for Courtney Vine's goal, Sydney FC um, against Perth Glory. It was one of the best passes that I have seen in the league so far this season. It was absolutely unbelievable. She was standing around um, the, the center circle. She sort of received the ball with her back to the goal. She spun. She saw Courtney Vine taking off down the wing and she threaded this unbelievable pass, which curled past like two lines of Perth Glory players right into the feet of Courtney Vine, who was just sneaking around the outside of her defender to score the goal. It was so amazing. The fact that she's still so young and has like that vision and that technique to be able to pull off a pass like that was incredible. Also, she tried a, um, like a rainbow during the game as well. It didn't quite come off, but she tried it. And I was like the audacity. Oh my God. I respect it so much. So that was my first one. My second one was also another incredible piece of technical brilliance this time over in the women's super league in England. And it was Lauren Hemp's goal for Manchester City. It was an incredible, like, like acrobatic scorpion kick type thing. I've never seen a goal scored like this before in my life. It came across from the right wing and she was, she was sort of behind the ball and her body was kind of like off as well, but she somehow swung her far, like her back leg around the back of her body and like clipped it into the, into the bottom corner of the net I don't, the commentator like didn't know what happened and had to like look at the slow-mo replay to actually see what happened. And then when you see it in slow motion, you're like, oh my God, I cannot believe that that just happened. So that was incredible as well. Um, and my third, you love to see it, was just like, just the entire Newcastle Jets versus Wellington Phoenix game. Just the whole thing. It was so good. It was so dramatic. There were goals at either end. It was a great crowd, great atmosphere. 
it was there was so much stuff that happened you know like it's one of those games that you remember as sort of part of a season as defining a season this has been a ripping season for the Newcastle Jets and Serena Bolden has been really really stand out for them as well so that game just like packed all of those really fun things into it in the space of 90 minutes so yeah I'd love to see all of those things as did we, and we will obviously get into that Newey Wellington game because how could we not get into that Newey Wellington game? Um, real quick from me, some you love to see it. Uh, there was a big Aussie derby in the FAWSL and West Ham got up over Arsenal for the first time. Angela is fist pumping, as you can imagine. Um, but first time in the league, that's a huge thing. And as always, the real winner here was Australia because no matter the result in this game, we simply couldn't lose. So it is a congratulations to Mackenzie Arnold and Katrina Gorry. Also, Katrina Gorry is getting the full like hype treatment over in England now. Like they're making packages of everything she'd done. She's winning uh, player of the match awards. Like people are on the mini train and it's like, yes welcome some of us have known for many years um so we absolutely love to see that but obviously my really love to see it from this week was the chloe kelly olympico from the same game that sam was talking about with the lauren hemp goal <sighs> it was a great olympico uh friend of the pod sophie lawson had to send it to me because we couldn't actually see it down here in australia because we have been geo-blocked which is a boot in and of itself but just i don't think chloe kelly knows how to like kick a ball any other way than like full throttle like this olympico whipped it was fast um and it was absolutely sensational so you know i love an olympico um so the clolympico we absolutely love to see it but angela what did you love to see from this week i mean i feel like a little bit of a broken record because every time Canberra do something fun, I'm like, I love to see it. But I'm mixing it up this week. Uh, I love to see Michelle Hamer score, but I especially love to see Mary Stanich flooding score in Canberra's 3-1 win over City. And I wrote in the rundown, just as I was like doing some prep um, before the game for the pod, and I wrote in the rundown that I was manifesting a win for Canberra. For this game so I just want it on the record 4 30 p.m day of I was like I want it to happen and I was also chatting with my dad before the game and I was like if Canberra are gonna win any game anytime soon it's gonna be this one like it's just gonna be the, the silliest result possible for them and they did it but anyway back to my you love to say it uh Mary Sanch Flutty she's had I think a really great season she's been so consistent for Canberra and um yeah she scored their second it was just I don't know uh she saw her opportunity and went for it. Flannery had done a run up the right-hand side and, like, crossed the ball in and it kind of bobbled and no one really did anything with it and she just kind of charges out of nowhere, puts her uh, laces through it and just, like, a sensational, powerful shot into the back of the net. I think it's her first for the season. Um, and, yeah, just just good vibes, I think, um, just reward for a player who's really been um, – putting in the hard yards in quite a difficult season for Canberra. So, yeah, really love to see that. I'm really happy for Mary Stanich. Bloody. We do absolutely love to see it. Obviously, we will have to talk about this Canberra-Melbourne City game, but we'll quickly run through the weekend's results before we get stuck into that. So, Western United started us off with a 2-1 win over the Mariners. Adelaide beat Western Sydney 2-1, which considering both of their seasons, surprise result. Uh, Victory got the win over Brisbane, 
also 2-1. There was a stage where every game was like heading towards a 2-1 finish, which was very, very unusual. But Sydney obviously broke that streak when they beat Perth 3-1. And then the two games that we obviously have to talk about here are Canberra beating Melbourne City 3-1 and the absolute chaos that was Newcastle 3, Wellington 2. But let us start with the Canberra City game because I feel like a lot of people are like, (laughs) like it's... The first question is what, and then the second thought in your brain is, oh, it's the dub. Of course, this happened. Like, why wouldn't it have happened in the dub? Why wouldn't the last place team have beaten the top of the table team three one? Of course, it did. Like, that's what happens in the dub. So, how? What? Ha- what happened to Melbourne City? What happened to Canberra United for them to pull this performance out of their bums? Like, how did we get to live in a world where? Canberra United beat Melbourne City 3-1. Please share your diagnoses. Well, I think it's a sort of variation on a theme when we were discussing uh, or debriefing about when the Wanderers beat Melbourne City. It's It was sort of the same vibe, right? It was just that Canberra was wearing green. It was this a very similar kind of game plan. You know that Melbourne City are a possession-heavy team and the stats show they had almost 70% of possession over this game. But what what you do with the ball is what matters. And that is effectively what Canberra did. Every time that they had the ball, they looked more dangerous. They knew what they were doing. They knew that they were playing on the counter. They chose the appropriate players for that kind of style. They defended really well as well. Like it was, it was a really gutsy sort of defensive performance. I really love Sasha Grove. I think she's getting better and better as the season rolls on. She's such a fun defender to watch, you know, like every time she goes into something, you want to keep an eye on her and see what happens. Um, and Melbourne City, like it's sort of a, I don't know, it's it's a symptom, I think, of, of a larger problem maybe where, you know, they just don't seem to have the clinical edge that they started the season with anymore. Maybe that's just because they're, you know, they're, they're starting forwards are not quite firing the way that they used to that's maybe a lack of confidence it's not that they didn't create very many chances they had 15 shots but only five of them were on target and the, the Canberra also had five shots on target with only eight shots in total so like it's Melbourne City's approach to football I feel like particularly in the women's competition over the last maybe two or three seasons has just been like relying on the law of large numbers like let's just pack out every single stat and hopefully like the the universe will have no other option but to give us goals you know what i mean but they 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 haven't really actually been able to to produce that in the last couple of um it's sort of in the last couple of rounds really i mean i feel like the the writing was on the wall with that wanderer's loss and this is the this is that come back to haunt them a little bit um yeah, it's um, full credit to Canberra. You know, I think they they had a game plan and they executed it perfectly. They knew exactly what Melbourne City's flaws were. They know that Melbourne City tend to get very um, frustrated and impatient when they have a lot of possession. They have a lot of the ball in their attacking half, but they're not really able to create any serious chances. So they push their fullbacks up. They push their centre-backs up a little bit. They get complacent and then pew, they're in behind them. And that happened a number of times, including for... It was one one or two of the of the of the goals. I can't quite remember, but um, yeah, it's it's really it's great. You know, as we spoke about in the last episode, the length of the season now allows these mid to lower table teams to find their 
vibe and to click finally and have chemistry and and they've had enough time to be able to start working out those wrinkles that maybe um delayed their 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 quick start from the beginning of the season but now they actually they're in it and other other teams are being found out so good on Canberra I mean this is this is great for everyone I think for Canberra because I had the the pleasure of getting to see quite a lot of their football over like December, January. I feel like it's like it, it, they've had a game plan and there's been intention um, this whole time. And there's kind of been a style of play that Negosh Popovich has obviously been trying to implement, but it has seemed to kind of come back to personnel and also defensive lack of kind of experienced defenders to kind of flop in. Um, losing Emma Ilioski, I imagine, would have been pretty difficult to kind of paper over the gaps in their midfield there. But I wonder if some of this is just like like some of those younger defenders, like, for example, Clark coming in, them having to readjust and eventually being able to like settle with her leadership in the defence. Um, I was talking to my dad about Bertolissimo. She's kind of been thrown in the deep end. And when that happens, if you're not kind of given the opportunity, like we kind of see with um, – young players being able to play gradual increased minutes and, and get your head around the, the level and, and what's expected of you. Uh, I think it can be, you know, baptism of fire. So I wonder if that's kind of where I think, because for me, it's like this was a really good defensive performance from Canberra. Um, the fact that City had 12 corners to one, I'm like, what's going on there? <laughs> what is going on there? Um, you would think that there would be some kind of conversion rate higher than what they had with 12 corners um for City yeah and for Canberra I just think I also appreciated in this game they didn't lose momentum like they went into halftime and I think they were two two nil up and they kept pushing and they kept trying to play attacking football and they didn't kind of let City creep back into the game and I think that was really important I mean the goal that they conceded is quite typical of a lot of the goals Canberra have conceded this season real janky like what is going on just put your boot through it clear it girls what's happening but anyway that's fine I'll take the win the city uh have we touched on the big news shall we touch on the big news for them I suppose because yeah that was going to be my next question to you guys like can city like is this just a blip on the radar for city or is this kind of the beginning of a spiral that's only sort of magnified by the loss of Caitlin Torpy, who's just announced a move to San Diego, San Diego wave, which is for her a sick move. Well-deserved. I feel like she's been one of the standout kind of players in the dub for a while now. So it's awesome that she's getting that opportunity. And obviously we hope she does really well over there and they'll, they'll, or by the sounds of it, they'll also be without, Prue, the goalkeeper, because she was not available on the weekend. We saw Bubs in goal um, because she is awaiting international clearance or transfer. Um, So that's two of you starting 11 gone. How massive are those losses to this City team? Yeah, I think Caitlin Torpy is huge. Um, she's been really, really important for them, particularly the way that she's able to link up between the midfielders and the attackers. Um, she's very quick. She's very smart as well. And that's something I've really appreciated about watching her develop over the last couple of years is like, I remember Caitlin Torpy way back when, 
and sort of her first maybe two seasons in the dub and you could kind of tell there was like a real rawness there and she was really energetic and she kind of like had a bit of a sparkle but she didn't really know how to direct it she didn't know so she didn't have sort of the game IQ yet but I think this season in particular has shown that she's really come a long way in the last two years um so it's a it's a big loss for Melbourne City but in saying that City are the kind of club where they should have the players to replace a player like that you know like you are one of the richest clubs in the competition you have some of the best resources you know you should have had a plan to be able to replace players like this you know we I think we again we spoke about this last week potentially where you know you going forward the clubs need to think more strategically about the players that they sign uh in 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 terms of like their bench depth because now like we're going to see players being snapped up more and more by overseas clubs because they come through and they start performing really well in this competition we're seeing it in the men's too you need to be able to think about that and to plan for that um I would have thought that Melbourne City were smart enough and resourced enough to be able to plug those gaps um I don't know this is sort of the first game that we've seen without both of those players. So maybe it, it is just a matter of sort of growing pains and needing to find the right combinations of, of replacement players in that sense. But, you know, it's you gotta, you gotta get ready for this stuff. You know, we've got some really great players here. We've got some really great emerging players some really great young players who in the next two to three seasons, you can imagine are going to be, you know, getting some pretty big offers from overseas. So clubs need to think seriously about this and understand that this is, this is probably going to be what their role is now. You know, even though the APL have come out recently, yesterday I think it was in the Sydney Morning Herald saying we, while the men's league, we see the men's league as a development league, the women's league is we want it to be a destination league in Asia. Um, I don't necessarily think that that's the case. Um, if you want that to be the case, APL, if you're listening, you need to make it properly full-time because you're starting to compete with leagues around Asia that are already full-time. Uh, you need to like catch up to the to the trend um, within the next two years because otherwise the yeah the 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 boat's leaving. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm curious to see about how how Melbourne City go about um, replacing these players and whether Barbieri is going to be the ongoing goalkeeper for them now. Um, obviously, she's a legend. Uh, she's former Matildas captain. You know she knows what she's doing. But at the same time, she's you know she's getting on and I I don't think that you know that's necessarily a great thing for a club like City which should be directing their energies and their resources towards developing the next gen um yeah so I don't know that I feel like that was a big rambly non-answer but basically too long didn't read Uh, who knows yeah it will be interesting to see if they make like City make any moves to get players in now because we do have a substantial chunk of the season left as well and they've got uh they're at the top of the table so it's a long way to fall if things really go badly for them um but it is it is a bit, little bit puzzling because they do have like I think second to maybe victory one of the strongest squads on paper if not the stronger squad but with and and that's even kind of taken out Torpy I think but I do think she will be a massive loss for them she has contributed so much this season um in particular but 
just generally her time at City, she has been a constant and she has done what she's needed to do in their kind of style of play. And um, when you can, you take into consideration as well, they've also lost McNamara. That's like huge in terms of goal scoring stakes. And I mean, yeah, I don't, I, I mean, we, we were seeing kind of Galich kind of coming to her own a little bit there and that kind of petered out as well. And so it feels like they're just individual players are having like building momentum, but like as a team, they're kind of falling apart a little bit. That's, that's very dramatic. I feel like, again, it's like they, they held 67% possession. They had 12 corners, they had 15 shots. Like they're not terrible. They're definitely not playing bad football either, but um, it feels like there's like a couple of tweaks that um, they'll have to make pretty quickly. And I think, for me, the big one is like getting someone in who can bang in goals because at the moment um, Wilkinson's not doing that. They don't have the the quality coming off the bench to do that um, either. Yeah. And they're kind of the people that have, like they have a lot of people in the side that can score goals, but a lot of those are midfielders and it's not necessary. And they're people like Rihanna Policina and Galich are really good in build-up play and that kind of thing, but they sh- shouldn't necessarily be tasked with finishing all of that work off. I don't know if that resonates with anyone, but that's just just what I'm thinking. I'm like, they need to buy a striker. And a keeper. Oh, God. Oh, sorry, guys. You've got a hard task in your hands. Sorry, I was just looking at their goal scorers, and obviously my it's fallen completely out of my brain. I was like, how have they scored 32 goals for the season? Um, And then I've gone and checked and they had like back-to-back games where they scored five goals so it's like that'll do it um that'll more than contribute to that um there was that crazy 4-3 game over western sydney as well so yes no i have found where their goals have come from um yeah i it's a tough blow to try and compensate for um i feel like at this point in the season but by that same token you've got so many games to kind of figure it out as well um on the goalkeeper front I will say I know there is a very valid question about whether Bubs is the person you want um to kind of see out the season for the team but she did create a little bit of history when she did take to the field. It was almost 27 years to the day since her National League debut and she became the oldest National League player. This is men's and women's at 44 years, 15 days old. Um, Every other person on this oldest National Team or National League player rather list is a man, including Bobby Charlton when he played for Blacktown in the old NFL. Like insanity genuine insanity so um yeah bubs what a what a freak in the best sense of the word but yeah there is obviously going to be conversations happening at melbourne city about whether or not she is best served actually as a starting goalkeeper or whether her best kind of um input for this team actually exists on the bench in a more kind of coachy nurturey um mentory kind of role so that's going to be a fun one. Um, but that game is also a really perfect segue to a question that we got on Twitter from Stephen about Melbourne City and also Perth. So basically he was just asking, where are those two teams going to finish this season? Because both of them seem a little bit in freefall at the moment. They both lost on the weekend. Um, 
And obviously, like, at the start of this season, our early episodes, and even as recently as a couple of weeks ago, we were like, look at the ladder. It's so interesting. There's, like, no teams from the top four last year. Um, this is great. This is chaotic. This is dub. We absolutely love it. And then before we hit record on today's episode, we looked at the ladder and we were like, oh, it's last year's top four. That's cute. Seen that before, though. Um, so I suppose... Should City and Perth fans in particular be concerned to address Stephen's question? Um, but also, what does it sort of say about the ladder that we've almost regressed to the average of the last couple of seasons where we see, you know, a victory, a City, a Sydney and a Western United occupying the top four spots once again? Yeah, I feel like we probably owe the listeners an apology for jinxing the ladder. <laughs> we so wanted it to be interesting, but No. It's like the Premier League, right? Like there's the competition between the top four to six and then there's the rest of everyone. It's like two different leagues. Um, yeah, look, it's uh, to address, I suppose, the question first. Should fans of Melbourne City and Perth Glory be worried? No, I don't think you should be worried. Um, I think these clubs have enough time and they have uh, they've, they've developed sort of enough identity within themselves that they will be able to figure out these this current sort of speed bump, um, you know, both of them are sort of skating through. They're not really as consistent in terms of winning games as maybe they want to be. But I, I think it, it just, it does come down to effectively both of them having a bit of a striker problem. Because when their centre forwards aren't firing, you kind of have to rely on other players around them. And as we were just talking about with Melbourne City, they've already lost two of their best wingers in Torpy and McNamara, having to rely a lot on Ekic, who hasn't really been firing either. And then you've got a Policina who, you know, yes, is a fantastic player, but shouldn't be the one that has to carry that goal scoring load. And it's kind of similar with Perth. You know, we've got Mia Farrow who started the season rippingly, but has kind of fallen off a little bit more. Now having to rely on other players around um, who also haven't quite been getting the the ball in the back of the net. So it's like, it's, it's yeah, it's kind of all, they, they share the same kind of symptoms, I think. Um, but the the great thing about having this extended season is you do have enough time to be able to fix things, to be able to tweak things, to move players in different positions, to sign new players for the, the back half of the season um, and and to see whether that works. I mean, I think, you know, both City and, and, and Perth are, they're sort of far enough up the ladder that even if they do sort of continue on these current trends, they should probably still finish in the top six. And again, it's the other great thing about expanding the finals format from four to six now is that you, you finally, you have two more clubs who can actually make it to the, um, to the knockouts. Um, but I think it's a, it's an interesting, um, it's an interesting moment because we haven't really seen clubs be given the, the runway to be able to address something like this mid season before. So I think it'll be a real, um, it'll be a real test of their sort of, back for like their, their department sort of IQ um, and and their their player recruitment um, strategies and and how they actually go about solving these problems if they think that they're problems at all you know maybe they they trust the current squad that they've got and it's just a matter of time that things need to click as we've seen with other other squads this season um, yeah so uh, what was the what was the second part of the question I don't remember <laughs> I'm laughing because neither do I. Um, it was just about the the ladder itself and like the fact that now uh, yes, yes. everyone's kind of back where they're used to being. Like 
Is yeah. is that something that was always going to happen, or is there still are there still twists and turns to come in this A League Women's season? Look, I, I think there are still twists and turns. Um, I I think that there are a number of clubs, sort of mid to lower table, Newcastle, Brisbane, Central Coast, who are performing well. Uh, Western Sydney as well. You know, I think that they are more than capable, as we've seen over the last couple of rounds, of taking three points off the big dogs. Um, and that's what we want. We want all of these teams to be going into the the back end of the season having to fight for their place. Um, that's what makes football exciting. You don't want to be complacent and you don't want to sort of lose interest in the in the race to, to the finish line. Um, like, yeah, it's a little bit sort of boring, but that the, the, the ladder currently sits as it basically was last season with City, Western, Sydney and, and Melbourne Victory and occupying the top four. But there's not a huge number of points separating them from sort of the next crop of of clubs. You know, Melbourne Victory are on 22. Perth Glory in fifth are also on 22. They're only behind on goal difference. Then you've got Central Coast on 21, Western Sydney on 20 and also Newcastle on 20. And, Newcastle, and then Wellington on 19. So it's like it's not they're like a couple of games of, of points away from each other, you know, um, which is, which is great. Um, and I, I think that provides in real incentive for those mid table clubs to try harder and push harder against these, these bigger opponents um, and to see the, the kinds of um, results that you can get from them. So, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's good. I'm, I'm anticipating a little bit. I mean, it's the dub, right? If you don't anticipate chaos, have you really been paying attention? I will say, I don't know if this is an unnecessary drive-by, but like City and Perth, they're kind of fading a little bit, but I am annoyed at Wellington Phoenix, okay, because they started this season yeah, and they've had the same kind of thing happen since they've joined the league of like playing really positive, interesting, exciting football. And then this season it was like, oh my God, they could do it. They could do it. And they've still got such great players and a great team. So I'm just like a little bit like, come on you've got to get yourselves out of whatever rut you're going through because I was rooting for you, Nick's come on. Anyway. Um, I will say, yeah, I think the, and we always kind of see towards the tail end of the dub, just the, the motivation of like staring shit seems to have on teams that are at the bottom end of the, the, the ladder. But I think it'll be interesting how that dynamic plays out this season because some, you know, kind of by this point, sometimes you're like, okay, well, that team's out of the conversation. So that's all they've got. But now I think, you, you know, you're looking at a Western Sydney, they're not out of the conversation. So it's not just the motivation to, you know, annoy everyone else or annoy the top four with an upset, but it's also like they could actually call themselves back up in the time that we have left in the season. So that's a really, it, it's not over. It's definitely not over. It's really exciting. And I, <laughs> I do hope that we do see a slightly different top four come the end of the season or just like, or, you know, a top six with a really interesting final series as well that isn't just, you know, predictable because that's potentially where historically, yeah, in the dub, we just do have the ascension of like the kind of strong teams towards the end of the season. And then it's, yeah, it happens. But 
I don't know. Yeah, Victory are not playing good football. I will say that. So I'm sure some teams are like, mm, we got our eyes on our fixture with Victory coming up. We can steal some points here, that kind of thing. I'm I'm still I'm just annoyed at them this season. I'm cranky. I'm like, what's the win over Brisbane? It's so silly, so silly. The goals, not not fun goals, but you know, a win's a win, and that's kind of Jeff Hopkins' uh, philosophy. I think a win is a win. One of the win. They do know how to grind it out. And anyway, sorry, that 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 was another unnecessary drive by of victory. Anyway, it we've got lots of time. It'll be fun. We love an occasional drive by though. Sometimes they're good fun. Um yeah, that's the thing. So like I know we keep talking about the top four because that's what we're used to, but Sam mentioned it like this season we do have a top six. So as it stands, yes, we've got the the top four that we know. But Perth Glory would make finals this season, which at the at the beginning of the season, that was kind of one of our requirements for them to kind of um show that progress had been made in the Alexa Parkers era. And then Central Coast would be playing finals, which I think is incredible we absolutely love to see that it's no you know western united kind of storming to a top two finish in their debut season but it's bloody impressive as well um so there will be plenty more movement i agree there will like it's the dub there's no way that it won't there won't be movement and as you mentioned as well sam just the closeness of the table right now guarantees almost that there will continue to be movement especially in that kind of four five six area of the ladder but um let's move along to the other crazy game of this weekend weekend rather which was newcastle three wellington two what what do you mean like just insanity like sam you mentioned it you basically said that you love to see the whole thing so feel free to get a little more specific now how did Newcastle do this? Were Wellington kind of, you know, um, rough to not come away with something from this match? Basically dissect it. Talk to us about it. I mean, it was just a rock and roll game from Newcastle, wasn't it? I just I just love the way that they are playing at the moment. They seem to really have belief in themselves that they can take it to teams. And not just in like a kind of like an old style Newcastle side where it's like, we've got some quick forwards. Let's just bomb the ball long and hope that they get it. But this is like actual football. And I think that their player recruitment in the off season has been really heavily responsible for that. Um, Libby Copas Brown has been so excellent. And that goal that she scored in the 50th minute was a ripper. And again, Serena Bolden, just an absolute, like an incredible signing. And we spoke about this in our Julie Dolan discussion. Had she been part of, the league for longer I have almost no doubt that she would be leading the tally uh in terms of and she may even still win it even despite the fact that she's had a shorter season compared to most other players in the conversation um yeah I'm just I'm just so impressed and you know part of this win against Wellington is as Angela mentioned the fact that Wellington have kind of dropped off a little bit but in saying that, they've still got a couple of really good players who are in really good form. I think Isabel Cox, this is like the second or third game in a row where she's been really a big player, like a standout player for Wellington. And Marianne Speckmeyer as well, another fantastic signing who, yes, for an international striker, you'd kind of want her to have a bit more of a return in terms of her goals. But I think now she's Wellington's all-time leading goal scorer. I can't quite but she's like up in, in and around that conversation now. Um, and hustles, you know, she hustles, which is, I think, what 
what Wellington have kind of done really well this season, or at least at the start of the season, they hustled really well. They had really good energy. They understood each other. Um, they had really good technical ability, good combinations. They Everyone knew their role. Um, but they've kind of, yeah, they have kind of faded as other as other teams around them have kind of surged. And I think this was this game was the perfect encapsulation of um, of that kind of dynamic. But yeah, like it was it was a pretty even game. It was back and forth. You know, we, we were talking about stats in the City game earlier and how lopsided that was. But you know, compared to this game, Newcastle had 19 shots to 13. Eight of them were on target compared to 10. 49% possession to 51 uh, it had six corners to four. Like it was pretty, it was pretty balanced in terms of the opportunities that both teams were creating, um, and it was just, it was just really exciting. Like every, every challenge was interesting. Every shot was interesting and and threatening. Um, you had a, a, like a, the crossbar was rattled like two or three times as well. Uh, it was, it just had everything, and I think it was really emphasised. I think the last time we spoke about Newcastle as well, I mentioned this that playing it at, at a small ground. Um, like number two, with with the hill, with the the energy of the crowd, the local crowd, uh, who you know the club has done well to to really engage with this season. You know, you could hear the atmosphere coming in through the pitch side mics. You could feel the energy of the game sort of zipping through the television. It was just awesome. It was just one of those games that, like, if you were to choose a highlights reel of the dub to try and 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 convince someone why you should come to live games this is the kind of game that you take a snippet from. You know what I mean? Like it just felt great. Everything about it on the field, off the field felt so exciting. So yeah, it was a ripper. Um, shout out to both clubs for for putting on that kind of performance because it was, it was so much fun. Sorry, I was fact-checking that, yes, Speckmeyer is the Phoenix women's all-time leading goal scorer. And while I was scrolling through the Wellington Phoenix Twitter account to verify that fact, I came across something that at least one of us should have mentioned as a you love to see it. Brianna Edwards save from Serena Bolden's Oh my God. Where she is like literally flying through the air and just bats it away. Like insane. So good. good. Save of the season that is. I am sorry, Brianna Edwards. We absolutely did love to see it, and I'm sorry we did not mention it sooner. Um, but, yeah, just Bananas game, good for Newcastle. I think the really positive thing as well for Newcastle is that I don't think it's unfair to say we've kind of been – well, we were definitely down on them at the start of the season. We cannot deny that. We were. Um then we were kind of iffy about the impact Emily Van Egmond would have because it was such a short stint and then obviously losing their coach, Gary Van Egmond, in the middle of the season, that's never a good thing. And yet, here they are. Like, it just, they seem to be rolling with the punches in a really positive way that means they continue to play good football and are grabbing wins like this. So, I don't know, it's... It's very positive for Newcastle in a way that I feel like it has not been positive for Newcastle in a very long time. So we love to see that. Angela, any takes on this game or let's move right along? I'd, I, this this is going to sound so strange, but and we can we can edit it out if it's inappropriate for me to say, but this game just felt like good bogan fun. It just felt like proper, like, ochre, like, I don't know. It has just, like, good energy. Like, I don't know. Does that that make sense? I don't know if that makes sense, but it was just raucous. 
and it you might have to very explain, explain what it means for our international listeners to for this to be a, like a bogan game what does that mean oh i don't okay so like i feel like bogan is i i was hesitant to say it because bogan is a bit derogatory in some a lot of the time in australia when you say it because it kind of refers to like working class working class culture that's kind of just like a bit tasteless I guess like a person a bogan is someone who is uh yeah working class very Australian very like and for some people would seem like yeah not having much taste and liking stuff like summer nats and kings of leon but I'm not saying it in a mean way I mean it in a complimentary way I mean it in like the really fun aspect of of it i don't know i maybe i've dug myself a hole here but um yeah i have dug myself a hole here anyway but i just it was i i mean it in a very nice way <laughs> anyway i feel like raucous was a good descriptor okay like yeah. raucous was a good word for that so just think of raucous listeners if you don't know what uh good honest spoken fun <laughs> means just think about raucous <laughs> but hello puppy hello, quick puppy. intermission to introduce um guest star of the far post podcast lottie aka mr puppuccini uh, <gasps> who loves loves a ball um and loves a nap don't we yeah, all valid valid <laughs> an absolute king he's a beautiful <laughs> Hi. Hi. Your floppy ears. <laughs> He's got little floppy ears. God, oh, I love so behaved. I yeah. know. You wouldn't know it. <laughs> um, I wanted to quickly touch on a question that we got from Twitter user at Soccer Snob, Soccer spelt S O K K A H, um, because there's no other right other way rather. Yeah, um, anyway. <laughs> and they asked what rule changes should the APL bring in to help with player physical and mental welfare now that the season is so long and their first suggestion is that an increase in bench size to six so that there's your five outfield subs and your one goalkeeper to kind of just give people a bit more rest also give your um your coaches a bit more sort of uh choice when it comes to changing games do we have any other kind of ideas um and I suppose the the suggestion here feels like rule changes to actual game day but should there be actual changes to like squad size um and other sort of uh considerations in squad composition like do we have any thoughts feelings vibes I think in terms of like, this isn't necessarily a rule change but I think something that we haven't really um dug into properly is the length of the preseason for the dub because it is unbelievably short considering the amount of work that these players have to do and the amount of travel that they have to do their preseason is only four to six weeks long that is insane. That's the length of a preseason for like Sunday league, like community grassroots football. Um, that needs to change that because like we have seen, what's the stat now? Is it seven ACLs, eight ACLs in the, the first half of this season? And that's probably no coincidence that having such a short preparation period has potentially contributed to that. And all of a sudden players are thrown into this 
high intensity, fast paced competition when a lot of them have only come from MPL level. So they're not conditioned for it. They're not ready for it. And then they're just thrown to the deep end and expected to swim. Um, my So like when it comes to rule changes to the, about how like what can we change in the, in the league to benefit players, all, all of my suggestions are always about stuff off the field. Um, yes, there are things on the field like increasing the, the bench size, um, you know, maybe introducing like a like a, a medical sub, not necessarily just a concussion sub, but a medical sub, you know, just an extra substitution and, and being able to factor things like that. But I think a lot of the um, the on-field problems that we see, which are at sort of the foundation of this question in terms of what rule changes would you make on the field to to um, to deal with these particular problems, a lot of those problems can be dealt with much sooner. Um, they can be dealt with with structural changes off the field. They can be changed. They can be um, fixed with a longer preseason with additional staff members. Um, they can they can be fixed by making the players full time so that they don't have to juggle other kinds of jobs and potentially becoming even more burnt out in the process. You know, all that kind of stuff that the A League men get is what the A League women should be getting because they're now being they're they're now expected to perform at such high levels. Um, consistently and we're seeing not a huge amount of starting 11 rotation over the course of this competition as well so a lot of these players are playing consistently week in and week out sometimes as Sydney FC did a couple of rounds ago they have to play three games over the course of seven or eight days with pretty much the same squad you know like these are all things that as the game grows as women's football grows there's more and more pressure and expectation and match minutes that are placed on the shoulders of these players but they are not able to do that without the support around them. Their bodies just are not, they haven't been trained for this. So my, my first answer is extending the preseason. My second answer is giving them basically more resources to be able to deal with all of the effects, all of the aftershocks of increasingly playing higher minutes um, at, at higher quality and higher speed. That agree with that. I will say something. I don't know if this was intentional or uh, how it's come about, but I do think the fixturing's been more positive this year. Maybe we've just had a cooler summer and there haven't been the same number of kind of uh, problematic days with regards to weather and that kind of thing. And, you know, <laughs> bushfires like we saw in 2020. That was fun. Um, but, like, uh, for example, at Canberra United, their home games, they don't have 3 p.m. kickoffs anymore. And that is that seems to be wise because usually at Michaela at 3 p.m. on a hot summer's day, it's no good. And so uh, if that's been a deliberate change, then kudos to whoever kind of pushed that through because I think that's been positive. And just those things like that, like the can we've seen the introduction of the concussion rule. So there's been small changes that I think should there should be credit where credit is due with those as well. But um, yeah, in terms of like. I I don't know too much about like injury prevention and strength and conditioning and all of that jazz, but four weeks for a preseason does not feel like enough um, just in terms of, yeah, being able to get up to proper match fitness in that amount of time. And obviously a lot of the players are coming from football into football with the preseasons and that kind of thing. But um, I do wonder how what teams have the resources to appropriately manage those various like 
loads of different players and different very match fitness and that kind of thing. So you would assume because it's, you know, semi-professional, professional level that that is being taken into consideration. But yeah, the pre the fact that, yeah, the, extend the preseason. That's a great point, Sam. I'm on, I agree with you there. Um, and then the rest of it is kind of that, that structural stuff. So players not having to, for example, like even having to think about when fixtures fall to incorporate full-time work or like travel for teams that are far away, like Perth and the Knicks. I, I just feel like that shouldn't, we shouldn't have to have those additional worries about a player needing to get back to their job or get back to their other commitments or whatever, because football would be their full-time commitment. Talk about that a lot on this podcast. So it shouldn't be a big surprise to anyone. A hundred percent. I think the preseason thing is the main takeaway here. Cause if you follow a player on Instagram, you will very often see they're posting their stories from inside the gym or out of the park or whatever. And the caption is like pre preseason because they're not officially in preseason mode yet or not like within the kind of parameters of their contract in their preseason mode but they know that the start of the season is close enough that they should absolutely be in some form of preseason um so yeah I reckon that's a real easy one and then obviously um full-time players deserve full-time staff so making sure that you know your physios your SNCs all of those people are full-time available to these players um absolutely contributes to making sure that they can last through a fuller longer season because um we all wanted the longer season like we were campaigning for it for long enough um we don't want it to end up being a negative because we weren't adequately prepared to deal with its length um but yeah so that's that's i think some really well they sound simple on paper. I'm sure there's some consideration that we haven't thought of that is potentially preventing them, but um, that's that's that on that. Were there any takes on any of the games we haven't touched on or shall we move into a boat? Maybe the only two games worth sort of briefly mentioning is um, Adelaide's win against Western Sydney, which was pretty big deal you know they that's Adelaide have sort of snuck two interesting wins in the last two rounds now and they're off the foot of the ladder as we said um and are continuing a pace just ahead of Canberra United um this is this is good news um I thought it was a it was a good game and it, it finally it's it's really feel like a, like the last win maybe was a bit janky but it's, it feels like this win was a little bit more um planned for you know like they they actually played like they knew what to do um which sounds really patronizing but it's it's it that's just the vibe um that's the vibe that I got and I think they were able to account for uh, a lot of the threats from Western Sydney um pretty well which not a lot of clubs really have uh I think it's taken a, a number of them sort of a while to figure out what Western Sydney are about um, but credit to Adelaide. I think, you know, a 2-1 win is, is really great. And I think that's the second game worth mentioning, which we sort of have, but it's it's Sydney's game against Perth. Um, a 3-1 win. I think this is probably Sydney's best performance of the season. I think, you know, every player um, performed really solidly. Usually when I've watched Sydney this season, it's been kind of, you know, two or three players who were kind of ca- like carrying the rest of the team on their shoulders. But this really seems to be a much more balanced 
um, performance. It, it seemed to be one where everyone understood their role and a number of players really stepped up um, and contributed in ways that maybe they hadn't done previously. Indiana DeSantos, I think, is one of those. And Courtney Vine obviously had um, had a ripper game as well, which is great to see, particularly ahead of the uh, the Uzbekistan games. Um, and there will be, yeah, a squad announcement in the next day or two. So, yeah, maybe she's going to pop up there and and be given a bit more of a um, bit more of a, a carrot on the end of the stick to to continue performing for Sydney. So, yeah, uh, two good games, two good wins for for two teams that are finally sort of yeah finding their uh, finding the groove, which is good. Adelaide are funny though because I feel like they're actually creating and and making chances, but sometimes it's just like they get there and they're like, ah, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? <laughs> so like. <laughs> I'll be interested to see if they actually start to convert more and, and have a bit, um, yeah, get get some more goals as they get more comfortable being like, oh, my God, we're near the goal. It's so random. Um, and, yeah, Sydney, I just shout out to Morgan Aquino for her penalty save. Uh, she's been great this season in, in my eyes for Perth. I know there was a, an error a game around or so ago and we always tend to remember the goalkeeper errors over the other things same with refereeing we remember refereeing errors when they've had a bad game but we don't remember a ref having a good game but um yeah I think shout out to her I think she's even with Perth kind of ebbing and flowing she's been so consistent so uh yeah and Sydney as well uh looking just as I haven't watched them too closely recently but they're looking like so much better than they did initially so I think it was just like they were they're finally cooking which is annoying but you know good for them and it it, it's not uh unsurprising I I suppose I'm really excited to see more of um the the M Caspers Madeline Maddie Caspers she's been she's been really building into the season as well um yeah, a lot to lot to be excited about for Sydney as well. Speaking of cooking, Courtney Vine seems to be cooking now, which made me instantly regret not including her in the big board, which you can listen to a couple of episodes back and also read on ESPN.com.au. And someone literally tweeted us and was like, I think Courtney must have listened because she basically was like, y'all aren't going to include me. What yeah. do you mean? And then instantly, like, went wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. So luckily for us, that big board is all hypothetical and it's Tony Gustafsson who has to make choices. So good luck to him. But let's move along to a boot. Uh, it's a, I don't think it's a particularly long boot today. It's a quick boot courtesy of friend of the pod, Tom, about the fact that both Melbourne Victory's men's and women's teams were playing at the exact same time on the weekend. I don't think they're the first club that has encountered this problem this season. Um, It's just not a good look. I saw someone describe it as Bush League on social media and it is it's just I feel like like fixturing is obviously hard coming up with a schedule is hard um for one competition of 12 teams let alone two competitions of 12 teams but there does need to be um a better attempt at making sure clubs don't run into that problem of having both of their teams playing at the same time because it's just it's just silly like it's not clever it's quite silly so 
Um, any any further or better points on that one? Um, well, it's an interesting conversation, isn't it? Because I think this it it kind of speaks to the the bigger concept of fan culture when it comes to this league. And I feel like there are two sides to to this particular coin. One is that there are some who believe that the the, the fans of the dub are fans of the dub and fans of the A-League men's are fans of the A-League men's and that they're, they are different enough to be separate. And so if you, if you sort of take that stance in terms of the fan culture, then it seems like it shouldn't be a big deal that the men's and the women's teams are playing at the same time because they're two different fan bases. And so it doesn't really matter that there's not a structural opportunity for them to cross over because they're already sort of their own separate entities. But if you're coming at it from the other side of the coin, which is that, you know, it's one club and it should be like the club should be making strategic decisions to organically cross those two fan groups over and into one another to build them together collectively, then obviously a a simultaneous fixturing is bad. So I don't really know where I sit on it. Um, I, I, I don't think that the fixturing was malicious in any way. I don't think it was like intended to, to be, you know, too bad women's game. Here's the men's one of the, you know, I think it was probably just the way that the, the cookie crumbled for, for victory at this particular point in the season. Um, but it's, you know, it's, I think it's, it still speaks to something that is really important and something that's really at the heart of what, the APL are trying to do in this new regime, which is trying to engage with fans because that's, that's the whole point of this. Like you can play football in front of no one, but what's the, what's, you know, that's just go and play community football then. Like the, it's the fans are the whole point. And so what is the, they need to really clarify what their engagement strategy is and then make structural decisions about fixturing, about times, about stadia, about all that stuff off of that one worldview um and at the moment it doesn't really seem like they have clarified that worldview for us or for them so it's going to be interesting to see how they learn from this season because there have been a lot of learnings um and and whether they can implement those things in a way that that finally puts football and fans at the very heart of everything that they do yeah i we we should not open the uh the APL can of worms at this point in the podcast because that's a whole other podcast and has been a whole other podcast in previous episodes. Um, but I did enjoy the new A-League's boss coming out and being like, we're a football business. We're not an entertainment business. And it's like, that is not what you thought like a couple of weeks ago, fam, but okay, cool. Um, I'm glad you've come to that uh, realisation. Anywho. How goods, please. Someone share a how good. Uh, I have a how good. Um, we mentioned uh, West Ham beat Arsenal earlier on uh, in the pod, but um, our very own Katrina Gori was player of the match for that game and she posted something really lovely on um Instagram, which I will read out once I bring it up. Oh yeah, here we go. Um, so she said, it's been a week, mum, cross footballer. Today we pull up to the stadium. Harper is sick all over the back seat. 
We drove straight back home to bathe her and put her to bed. I somehow made it back for warm-up. West Ham women have built differently. Every player and staff member got behind me so I could still do my job and get back home to my girl. There's something special about this club and I'm so incredibly grateful to be a part of it. Um, And we just, yeah, love that Gori's getting the support to thrive in all areas of her, of her life at West Ham. Um, I Sometimes I get a bit cranky at West Ham because I feel like as a club they, they're a little bit nothingy sometimes but it's really great to like it, it really feels like there's um at least in the women's side of the setup that they've really like nurtured um Bulgari in particular but they they take care of their players so how good um and also how good for Gori getting player of the match as well um and also how good to the 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 two shit housing otters that you posted <laughs> um you can provide more context. Yeah, big how good to West Ham. And my favorite thing about them is that, from what I've seen, obviously we are very far away. But from what I have seen, it's not like they've just started doing this because Katrina Gori is there. Like I think of um, Dagny Brynjslotir, who was their captain, who's currently away from the pitch, um, expecting her second child. But she already had a kid, and she was able to make it work. And by the seams of it, because she had the support of West Ham. So it seems to be a very core part of um, what they are doing as a club. So we absolutely do love to see it. It's an absolute how good. My how good was going to be the two shithousing otters. Um, so there was a photo that Minnie posted. You you were obviously reading Katrina Gorey's Instagram stories. I was flicking through and I was like, <laughs> they look like otters. Um so it was a photo that Katrina Gori posted from photographer Susie, who's at Boodle Pim, which I love as a username. Um, and basically it was West Ham v Arsenal. So Katrina Gori and Caitlin Ford are there and they are both holding on to each other's shirts, um, which is obviously a very shithousy thing to do. But I loved that they were doing it to each other. So in my brain, they were like otters who hold on to each other when they're like floating in a stream so they don't get lost from each other. Um, so uh, you can go see the photo. Like I said, Katrina Gori posted it. I pinched it off her then and put it on Twitter and I dubbed them to shithousing otters. So how good to our our little shithouses. What would we do without them? Um, Sam, how good from you? Yeah, we started this episode by talking about Aussies winning uh, overseas and I want to expand on that theme by talking about the Australians that we have through to the Women's Champions League quarterfinals. We've got four Aussies who were through to the that, that final stage after that crazy uh, group phase that we've just had to experience over the last couple of weeks. So we've got uh, Ellie Carpenter at Lyon and uh, Larissa Crummer at Braun who have uh, both contributed to their teams in various ways and are now through to the quarters. We've got Claire Hunt at PSG and also Ivy Lewick at BK Harkin, who has been, I got to say, absolutely sensational. She has you know, been praised by coaches, by commentators for how solid and consistent she's been at centre-back for Harkin. She finished, uh, the, the team finished just behind Chelsea in Group D. Uh, so, yeah, well, I mean, I, I don't think in, in our big board we gave Ivy Lewick enough praise, to be honest, and I, I won't be shocked if she's picked in uh, the 23-player squad for the Uzbekistan friendlies, to be fair. Um, yeah, so shout-out to all the Aussies. You know, we, we've got representation uh, pretty much all across the board when it comes to the final eight of uh, of the UEFA Women's Champions League. So how good. 
we love a Champos how good. Um, so huge how good to those four and hopefully imagine an Aussie against Aussie final. It's the dream. That's what we want. Um, but yeah, I think that's us done for today. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in. As always, we are over on ESPN.com.au and the ESPN app. You can find us on Spotify, Apple, all of the usual pod spots. If you like what we do, leave a review, subscribe so you get all the episodes directly into your feed. If you want to have a chat to us, we're at the Far Post Pod on all social media. We thank you for all of your questions this week and all of your responses to the big board as well because, like we said, Picking 18 players, not easy. Don't really want to do it, but we do it for the content. Um, But until next week, see you.